Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, um, one thing that happened this morning uh, that when I... When we started the hymn, the first hymn, I was kind of kicking myself because I had a big note that said, pay attention to the words of this first hymn. (laughs) But maybe you can go back to it and check it out. It's one that actually maybe caught your attention, 612 in uh, in the hymnal, Uh, that day of wrath, that dreadful day. I mean, that's just what you want to see when you first come to church, right? That day of wrath, that dreadful day. it's one of those hymns that, that you don't really see a lot of uh, nowadays because it's one of those things that's really hard to talk about. It's really uncomfortable to talk about the Judgment Day. It's uh, one, though, that we need to talk about, and for the next three, for, for this Sunday and the next two, uh, I mean, for the next two Sundays following, we'll be going through all of chapter 25 in Matthew. And if you thought that this was uncomfortable, it only gets worse from here, <laughs> because we have the parable of the ten. Uh, because we have the parable of the ten virgins today. Next week we have the parable of the talents. Who doesn't love that one, right? Uh, and then the final judgment with the sheep and the goats on the last Sunday of the church year. But today I have uh, the pleasure of talking to you about this parable, which causes a lot of consternation amongst people because everyone goes, what does this mean? How do, how do we understand this parable? And it's really frustrating for me as a pastor who has to preach on this that when I go and look, I find different answers from all kinds of people. But if I was to keep it very simple as to what exactly these things are, I would say that that what this parable tells us is that the word of God prepares us for our heavenly bridegroom's coming on the last day. Now, What do I mean by that? I mean that if you look at this parable, all these things mean something, right? And if you read very, very closely, um, you can get in the weeds. I'm going to try and stay out of the weeds today for y'all, okay? What I really want to point to is the importance of the wise versus, versus the foolish. What characterizes those kinds of people? Well, it would help us to know that Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So from there, we know that to be wise, we must fear God, right? And we know that from our small catechism, right? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does... Uh, excuse me, what does this mean? Y'all know, right? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what it means to be wise. And then if we look further into what Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, well, let me turn there real quick. 
he says that the man who hears his words, that, that whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So wisdom, according to Jesus, the Lord is fear God and listen to his word and do it faithfully, right? It's not just about doing for the sake of doing, right? It's about doing faithfully, knowing what God has done for you, right? We have to understand that the wise virgins filled up their lamps with the oil of faith. That is what makes that flame burn bright and be sustained, right? Because this is a sometimes scandalous parable because the virgins who wait for the bridegroom what happened in the old times was that um, in betrothal, that was where the marriage actually took place. For us, it's just getting engaged, right? And then we have the big ceremony later on. But the betrothal happened privately. And then after the betrothal, the bridegroom would go and prepare a house for his bride. And then he would go with a big party of people get her and bring her to his house, and they would have a big feast. So these people are waiting for the feast to come. That is just like us. We await the feast on the final day. We are waiting for Christ to come and bring us with him into our home that is the new heavens and the new earth. And while we wait, we think it's going to happen right now, right? Okay, not now. Maybe now. Oh, no? Okay, so he's delayed. And he's been delayed for quite some time. That's why I said to some people, this can seem kind of scandalous. Why is God waiting so long to get here? Can he just hurry up? Of course, that's a prayer of ours, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? We are waiting. And while we wait, we fill up our lamps with the oil that is needed to sustain us, which is faith. Now, where do we go to get faith? We go, first and foremost, to God's word. But where does God's word, where is God's word proclaimed? In church, in the gathering of his saints, in this wonderful place where we come and we hear God's word of law, which tells you that you have sinned and fallen short, but also gospel, which tells you that Christ has saved you by his blood. You come here and you fill up your lamps because outside of here, the night is dark. It's a dark world. And we need the light of God's word and faith to guide us. For the Psalms say, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we have God's word and we carry it with us. That is what stokes the flame of faith and even faithful deeds done in faith, right? And we know that because what Jesus says also in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that we are the salt, that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. 
not because we are so good, but because of the faith in Christ that shines through us, that we reflect his light to other people, right? So he says, um, <laughs> got my notes here. Hang on a second. He says uh, in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot, cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all, uh, to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before, in, in the same way, let your light shine before, before the others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light so shine. Let the faith that God has given you freely shine in love to other people so that they would not glorify you, but glorify your Father who is in heaven. And in that way, we will be ready because we want to be wise about what is coming. To go back to the hymn that we started the service with, the day of wrath is a dreadful day. It is a day of judgment. It is when God will separate people and we will know who are his sheep and who are the goats. And we'll get to that in a couple weeks here. But the day of judgment sounds very scary and it should terrify a certain part of us. For we all are still flesh and fallen and sinful and the old man that still clings to us, the old flesh that still clings, should be terrified because on that day, he will be done forever. But the new man, the new creation, the, the, the spirit of God, Christ who lives, Christ who lives, who lives within our hearts according to baptism, the gift that was given to us in baptism, that new creation rejoices because it says, even though that day is called judgment day, there are two kinds of judgment. One of guilty and one, uh, and one that says not guilty. And the new man, the new creation in Christ says, that's for me. That's what I look for. And so, being wise, you are here to be reminded of that. That when you hear of the judgment day, you say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, not because I'm so great, but because of the promises that you will fulfill on that day. And in the meantime, while we wait, we fill up our lamps and we let our light so shine for other people that they may glorify God. That we need to be prepared. Because I like to think, I, I, you know, whenever I get to this text each year, I, I kind of take a different <laughs> spin on it. But what I like to think is that while the bridegroom is delayed, you still have people saying, prepare, prepare, prepare. The bridegroom is coming. And that is the job of a pastor to say, prepare, prepare. The bridegroom is on his way. He will be here any moment so that when you hear the final trumpet sound, you won't 
be surprised. You will be joyful and say, thanks be to God, our salvation is come. Because you do not want to be those who say, hang on a second, hang on a second. Let me go fill up my lamp real quick. Let me go run to church real quick and hear the word proclaimed because you know what's going to happen? No one's really going to be there. So that when they finally come back and say, Lord, Lord, please let us in, it'll be too late. Again, nobody likes to think of that. Nobody likes to think that it'll be too late for certain people. But that is the warning that we have. That is the word of God that we hear today to say, be prepared and to say what Christ says from Mark chapter, chapter, uh, chapter 13, he says, what I say to you, I say to all, stay, stay awake, watch, for Christ is surely coming and he is coming very soon because we do not want you to be not informed about what it is that is coming. We want all people to know this and we want to bring them here so that they might hear it. There's a chance that we might be able to tell people face to face what Jesus has done for us, and sometimes we just need to say, come and see what he has done. Come and hear how we need to be prepared. And so I pray that this will be a next step in your preparation, that as we go forward, we look forward to that glorious day, and on that day, we will say, thanks be to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.